Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is sponsored by AppSec Phoenix, the next generation application security platform, enabling organizations to run application security programs in a smart way. Visit www.appsecphoenix.com to learn more. And I think last year at AppSec Cali, actually, there was a very good talk about how to do application security at the various print stages. So when to trigger specific things, so like secure code scanning or application security testing or infrastructure testing. And threat modeling was almost at the very end of the cycle because you need to evaluate the application as a whole. And if you do that at the very beginning of the sprints, when the application is not even built, you don't have a leg to stand, right? Exactly. So this is why it's quite important to shift this process left and get the threat modeling done when it should be done. And again, OWASP can also help you with that. Again, so everyone listening to this, if you want to do that, if you want to start threat modeling, if you want to even start achieving this shift left mechanism, just go to Google and search for something called OWASP security stories. So if you operate an agile environment, then agile, so you can just download the templates and OWASP security stories, which are already done for you. And you can simply import them into whichever system that you're currently using, whether that's Microsoft Azure DevOps or um, GitHub or Jira or whatever. So you will already have your security epics. And they are foundational, of course. But again, this will give you something to think about because there are security stories for example, on authentication. Because if you have a, to give you an example, a simple story to say, oh, a user should be able to log in with a username and password and should have a feature to uh, change the password and using, let's say, email as the username, um, our, our security stories will, will have a specific story around the security of it. So saying, okay, an attacker can use a database of leaked usernames and passwords or email addresses to passwords to run a password spraying attack on your login screen, which means to make you able to to impersonate the user. And obviously, until you give this story to a uh, product team, to a development team, they will not think about that potential attack because, well, how do they know? There was no requirement for them to think about it. Yeah, or it's not not built in a normal... I mean, we are a little bit on a left side brain or, or more analytic brain or more paranoid brain where we think everything is broken and, mm-hmm. and that, that's the value of threat modeling. So these actually stimulate the idea of threat modeling. Exactly. And this brings me back probably one key thing when I say, and this is a, a big discussion and argument that I have with Jim Manigan when he say, okay, you do DevSecOps, hence you make Pentas disappear. And me and Jim actually both agree on this stuff that Pen test is still a purpose. Threat modeling has still a purpose. Even if you scale at, at mass, you still have to validate the logic, validate the business logic, validate when you can break an application that normally security testing wouldn't test for those logic breaks. Right? Exactly. Exactly. I totally agree that uh, when you approach security, you need to think about defense in depth approach. So you need to make sure that you secure all the layers and there are controls that you should apply at every single layer 
So as you rightly say, only penetration testing or say dynamic application security testing can find vulnerabilities which can only manifest themselves when application is running. If you look at SAST or Statica application security testing, yes, you can have a scanner which will analyze the code. And yes, it will find vulnerabilities that your pen test will not discover. For example, I don't know, hard-coded API secret keys, credentials will also find some vulnerabilities that are probably lurking in the uh, parts of the application which are out of scope of your penetration testers. So you should always combine. You can't say, oh, if, uh, if I do pen test, I don't need to do SAST. If I do SAST, I don't need to do penetration testing. Say, oh, if I already done penetration testing, I that, don't that need br- to off. And I'm like... That, that oh, brings me... That, that yeah, bring oh, us... I don't need to teach my developers to, to, to code uh, securely. This is the most yeah. ridiculous thing. Someone say, oh, yeah, I have all these controls. So it's like, I don't care if I do my developers write in secure code because... Yeah, um, we we have this. Um, we're secure by default. We're secure yeah. because somebody tests and and nobody exactly. actually reviewed the test. Exactly, exactly. So defensive in depth is one of the most important concepts. It's not cheap. A lot of people saying it's quite expensive to secure all the layers, but I think that's that's the right approach because you cannot secure just one one thing and then rely on it as a silver bullet which will protect you from. But as you just said. There is a very cheap and easy way to start with with OWASP and, and considering some open OWASP uh, open sum is uh, another another great maturity matrix or maturity model where I've used it quite extensively to evaluate team. Uh, ASBS is another great tool to actually have have the, the list of requirement and go input from top ten. As you say, an attacker is is a good way to evaluate. Is there anything about code scanning, dependency uh, checker? Dependency checker, of course, another very, very important project, right? So a lot of people are now faced with that issue, especially in the cloud world, right? When you have lots of containers and people just stuff their applications and containers without actually understanding what's in there and what sort of components and libraries they use because vulnerability might not be in your own code. It might be in a third party or in open source library that your developers use. And again, this is still one of the number one uh, issues. And again, going back to the same Equifax breach, Francesco, that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this was one of the problems because the vulnerability was not in the code written by internal developers. It was in the in the library. It was in, in, in the struts component, which vulnerability was discovered and just it was not fixed in time. So again, for this, more- we have dependency check and we have, we have, OWASP does have this tool, which you can start using for free straight away. And, it's, and it, it takes you so much further because effectively you're doing threat modeling, you're doing uh, requirement capturing, you have the use stories. Actually, on the use stories in the chats, they've asked again where they can find all the use stories. The, uh, the security stories? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think, that's I think there are quite a few of them available. They will be under the main um, GitHub. But uh, oh, yeah. there, there is a project available. Yeah, there is a, a user security stories. But there are tons of flagship projects, and that's that's one thing that I think is is one of my small critique that I always say whenever I go to to uh, speak or attend a, a, an OWASP conference that we don't speak enough about the the, the security the, the OWASP project. That I mean, I discover it day by day by chatting with people, and and Twitter is a fantastic community where you can ask these things, or the local OWASP chapter where you have the leaders where you can ask things, but. It's still the communication is still in cybersecurity is 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 a killer. 
we don't talk enough. And OWASP has done an amazing job of recent to actually republish everything in Git, massive effort, all the website, all the project, republishing yes. Git, amazing yes. job. That was a really, really massive project because, of course, OWASP was due a website relaunch for several years now. And, yeah, I think it's the new site has been launched and it's all based on uh, GitHub, which is great because that now it makes contribution very, very easy because previously people would go and say, okay, I found this information on OWASP website, which is a wiki format. How do I access it? How do I edit it? How do I contribute it? It was a very long cumbersome project cumbersome process right now it's all very easy because everything's on github so first of all collaboration wise we have a slack so if you want to start collaborate with owasp talk to us you can just register just go to owaspslack.com and just enter your email address and you will get an account to connect to your owasp slack where we have hundreds of channels where you can talk to people so of course there's a main OWASP community channel where you can discuss all the community issues we have mentors channel where you can ask for mentorship we have bug bounty channel so if you're into bug bounties you can explore that you're into money (laughs) exactly and there is a channel for every single project so just yesterday i had someone who started a uh, his own cross-site scripting cheat sheet and started publishing on Twitter and they put it on GitHub. Oh, nice. and, and I replied and said, look, you've done an amazing job, but uh, there is no visibility because it's your own personal GitHub. And you know, uh, for people finding it, they will find, again, hundreds of various uh, cross-site scripting cheat sheets. It will be a much better because your project is open source and OWASP is open source. If you contribute to the main OWASP, Process scripting cheat sheet, which is uh, uh, probably number one project in this area. And if you think that we do have some aspects of process script which are out of date, because of course this was originally created almost twenty years ago, mm. right? and obviously people as volunteers they donate their time to do the updates, and you spend a volunteer your time to do a research and update and create your own cheat sheets. So if you merge it with OWASP, the value to the whole community to everyone in the world will be much greater because you will have a greater audience. And yeah, course, you have the reach. The outreach exactly, that is massive exactly. and it's getting better and better. Exactly. And this is all very easy to do because you can just get it on our Slack and then run, work on GitHub as well. So because every single project page, every single chapter information page now is on GitHub, uh, if you need some suggestion, uh, you can just go and create a pull request on GitHub. If you found some issue, again, you can create an issue on GitHub and someone will review it. Previously, when we had just a wiki website and just a Google form where people would basically submit things and it would go to uh, OWASP staff, which is, of course, was very overloaded. As you know, we are a charity and we only employ a handful of people. Everybody else is an unpaid volunteer. It was very difficult for them to process and structure that information, provide any help. So now it's more manageable, easier, understandable. And I think as a result, I think we're going to see some great things. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. I think I've definitely seen a 
change, a drastic change and a more acceleration in OWASP in the last two or three years. So more project, more outreach, more people, more visibility. And it's not anymore just web-based, it's everything-based. Like as, as you just said, NetHacker is a completely network-based and then it goes, it moves into the application security space. So That's right, that's right. Yeah, of course, let's not forget about community. I think I mentioned the community, which is very important, and local chapters. Because there's one thing if you have, let's say, a project on GitHub and it's open source and it's documentation or it's a tool or we have books, for example, it's a book. It's one thing completely different when you actually also provide the services to the community and you run meetups. So this is what OWASP does because we have 200 chapters all around the world. So wherever you are, just go and Google, find out if there's a local OWASP chapter near you because there's one in almost every single country in the world. We, we have a chapter in London and the UK. We have quite a few chapters. And I'm very pleased that only in the past year, we had several chapters. I think we had four new chapters opening up in various places in the UK. And I'm now speaking to some organizations to open even two more chapters as well, which is nice. great because that gives people who are local in a particular city, who are not particularly in London, not in capital, uh, to have the local meetup group when they, they can meet together when they can discuss issues about application security and where they can most importantly listen to the talk provided by the experts um, and network. network network is the king very 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 important thing because uh, as you know yourself francesco networking is very important in application security we actually it's quite a small industry but this is also very important to to network and also to network outside so i always try to reach out to people in development. And I try to go to a lot of cloud-native and cloud-specific meetups and also to the pure software development and software architecture uh, conferences and meetups. Uh, and, we're restarting our, and we're restarting our meetup after the AGM. So end of this year, we're going to restart our own meetup. Fantastic. Because you know this is sometimes can be quite this one because you go to, let's say, development meetups. There's lots of developments and they're talking about some new and fantastic framework, let's say, in JavaScript or whatever. And then you, I sit there and listen to all the talks and not a single person mentions security. There are yeah. lots of questions at the Q&A session afterwards. Not a single person raises their hand and says, excuse me, what about security of this thing? How do you guarantee that this cannot be hacked? Right. So, Hello, good uh, sir. Do you have five minutes to talk about security? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, it's true. Uh, it's true. I, so, try, I try as well to talk as yeah. much as I can to a non-security conference because we end up, in a lot of conference, we end up security talking to security, morning about security. And I try to commit at least to two or three conference per year, at least that is completely non-security and, and speak about security to people exactly. that exactly. are non-security people. And exactly the opposite, right? So if there are any people in application development or the pure developers who are watching this podcast, I urge you to actually start attending security meetups, uh, hacker meetups, right? So this is where you get to understand and learn about vulnerabilities and about how security people approach this, about threat modeling, and of course, networking with security professionals will drive a big, big value. And of course, one another very interesting aspect is about learning, right? So we run uh, capture the flag tournaments. At yes, London. I was just about I think to mention. It's very, very important for software developers because what is really bad is when any concept, whether that's security or a particular standard, being enforced on developers as a mandatory training, some you know computer-based training course when you have to click through slides and then there's a quiz at the end. How and many people end. actually understand this is 
exactly. Because if uh, security is delivered to developers as a mandatory thing, they will not be engaged. Okay, yeah, so the right I way agree. of engaging developers and probably engaging everyone is by gamifying. So when people play games, they learn. And, and when they compete... Exactly, exactly. So otherwise, we even started from uh, non-computer games at all. So we have uh, board games. We have OWASP Cornucopia and OWASP oh, Colors, which I are threat modeling games, which I think every single development team should have a deck and play in the kitchen during their lunch breaks or during their coffee breaks and, and remind themselves. Or uh, Escalation or Privilege card game. That's privilege. another great one. Exactly. So these are available and obviously they're off computer. And of course, on the computer, we have several projects uh, such as Obas Juice Shop, which is absolutely fantastic, vulnerable, ex- intentionally vulnerable web application with the uh, Capture the Flag tournament mode, which you can use to play with developers. And of course, we have some others for like Obas Web Goat and Obas Security Shepherd, which can be used for uh, running games within your teams. And it's real fun and easy to use. And again, it's free and open source. And you can just take it, you know, clone it, fork it. You can add your own challenges if you want. Uh, it's all there. It's available. So that is there, which I think is very, very important for the company. And you can use Zap. You can use Zap to monitor all the network traffic. You can exactly, just invent. Exactly. And moving back to so, but the thing about gamifying is that security doesn't have to be boring. It's engaging. It's actually fascinating. This is why people who move into security, they find the whole world of AppSec absolutely fascinating. Because yeah, you learn problems. something new every single day. There's a new attack method. There's a new uh, hacking group. There's new vulnerability. There's a new breach every single you day. You never get bored or tired. Exactly. Well, tired more bored. of... You never get bored. Tiring, yes. That's a separate problem about talking about mental health and, and uh, burnout. But uh, you never get bored, that's for sure. And of course, since you mentioned Zap, Francesco, I did really want to mention Zap because, of course, a lot of organizations they're like, "Oh, pen testing is really expensive." It's like, it's like, come on, you can download and use OWASP Zap, which is absolutely free and open source project, and you can run it against your applications in UAT in production. All that Zap needs is a URL. If you if you're building microservices, if you're building APIs. Again, Zap it, it can be used for API testing as well. There's a great tutorial on how you can use it for API testing. There are, there's tons and tons of materials available, and it's an absolutely free and open source web application pen testing tool that anyone can use. Yeah, no, it's, it's very simple to write your own extensions. If you, if you use it and you find something is missing because it's open source, it's pretty easy for you to go and write your own plugin and add the functionality that you think is missing. And again, if you contribute it back to the OWASP main GitHub, that means everybody else, uh, all the hundreds of thousands of organizations worldwide to use this tool, they will benefit from your contribution. And Ivano was just mentioning that Pentest is expensive, but it's still uh, a check in the box, and it's still <laughs> people want to do it. And I have to say yes, because a lot of, a lot of standards actually mandate pen testing once per year compliance and we shall remember all the listening that compliance is not security and whatever we just said is absolutely our opinion doesn't represent anyone of our organization but anyway it is still needed it is it still validates and i think you can you can achieve security in a much cheaper way with OWASP and with all the free and and amazing tool that all the contributor can do Penta still have value, but you shouldn't rely as as the only as the only element of security. 
And as we are reaching probably the last 10 minutes of the podcast, and we can probably go on and on and on, on our some a couple of things. So one is, if you remember a good story, a positive story or a horror story in application security that you can mention, anonymizing it as much as you can. Oh, I know way too many horror stories to mention. Um, one that is particularly interesting or striking or... Oh my God. So uh, I will mention one which is quite a scary one because it's related to the government. And this was about a... Uh, Again, spoiler, it's only our opinion with that. Yeah, but don't exactly, represent anything exactly. that we experience. But this is, again, going back into the training developers to understand security. Because what happened is a developer had to solve a particular challenge, and they didn't know how to solve it. So they Googled for it, and they found a solution on Stack Overflow. Little they knew that the Stack Overflow uh, was riddled with a vulnerability, and that solution was copy-pasted into a highly critical and very important application. And yeah, it's a good thing that we were there to scan it, to find it, and, and discover it. Otherwise, the product owner could have pushed it to go into production, potentially exposing a lot of sensitive data. These things do happen, unfortunately. So this is a, this is a bit of a horror story, really, to tell. But things like that, they do happen. Every day. And a positive and story? Well, I still positive story. Uh, when, you had, when you had a developer that they came to you and say they want to learn more about security, or that's I true. found that's true. Yeah, yeah. Again, again a great uh, story with a de- developer who uh, didn't really understand security, and they, tr- of course, um, came through my team where I uh, scanned the code and found a few vulnerabilities, and I showed the vulnerabilities and said, "Ooh, I would like to learn more about this. How do I learn? Because I want to understand what the security vulnerabilities are." And then I pointed to the various sources. Of course, one of the sources that we have in OWASP is something called OWASP SKF, or Security Knowledge Framework, which is essentially like a wiki which pre-made content about various application security vulnerabilities and how to remediate them in various uh, programming languages. Well, but this was just one of the resources. So after this developer learned this, he was so fascinated with security, he started participating in all the various CTF contests and gaming contests and started winning and got into bug bounty so, Oh wow! as well. And uh, yeah, the opposite, to cut the long story short, that person has now become a security champion, which is working really, really well because he's a team lead of several developers. So it just fills my heart with warmth when I see that this guy had no idea about security, was fascinated by it, learned it, and now he's mentoring junior developers. That's amazing. And, and that's, because, that's because he is a developer. Because because I'm a security guy. It's trusted. The developers are always going to look at me and say, okay, you know, there's some suspicion. <laughs> security, they have to know good. But obviously, with, uh, with a developer, is one of them. And he's managing to engage them, uh, play all our cornucopia and the escalation of privilege card games with them during the lunch break. I think it's actually uh, raising a very good, very positive culture. Because this is, at the end of the day, what it's all about. It's all people. about culture and people. If you have a culture of... Uh, caring about security, then you're in good hands. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And we were having a conversation with Kevin Finler uh, that is going to be our next guest about exactly this, that ultimately if you boil it down, security is just about people. It's just about getting things right and, and making people excited, not just security people, not just business people, but everybody in the organization so they really understand but they get excited by it. 
we're running really short on time and we can probably continue this conversation like forever. And I'd like, first of all, to thank Sam for all the stories and all of our listeners on live and on the podcast afterwards. But I want to leave people with, well, first of all, a positive message. So we, we, we replay the positive message or if you want to uh, give another positive message and a forecast for the future. Go for it. So, of course, the positive message is culture. So make sure that your culture includes positive approach to application security. Speak to your developers, speak to your product owners, speak to your, all your stakeholders and make sure that you introduce security and application security mainly as an enabler, not as a compliance tick box. I can see one of them screaming about compliance. Yeah, so the compliance is not security. It can help you to uh, raise awareness that you need to do something if you're doing nothing, but uh, <laughs> compliance is not security. And of course, on the prediction side, of course, we're now seeing more and more shift into the cloud. So um, many people have a very strange misconception or myth that if you move application from on-premise into the cloud, it kind of automatically becomes secure. No, it's not. Yes, cloud providers do do some degree of security, but there there is a security model that you need to understand when you move the applications to the cloud because the controls are different and the exposure of your application to potential vulnerabilities is different. If you don't understand that, it can very easily lead to a breach. So my sort of prediction is that as you move into the cloud, you need to pay more and more attention to cloud security and understand that application security in the cloud. And the CCSK gives, for the Cloud Security Alliance, give a very good reference model of the shared responsibility model. So what are you responsible for? But anyway, Sam, thank you very much for coming. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 